0: This is That So Second Millennium, where we explore issues at the interface between science, philosophy, and Catholic theology. I'm your host, Paul Geesting, and your co host is Bill Schmidt. Welcome back to That So Second Millennium, episode 140. Today we have the privilege of talking to Bill's old friend and fellow journalism major, Chris Bell. The good Lord seems to have had other plans for Chris besides journalism as he spent the last 37 years starting and maintaining the Good Counsel Homes for Homeless Mothers in New York and New Jersey. We speak with him at this time when the hornet's nest around the issue of abortion has been kicked by the Supreme Court leak of a few weeks ago and we discussed the critical issues around saving and celebrating human life in the face of the withering wind of what John Paul II called the culture of death. Here's our conversation with Chris Bell.
1: To, to our uh, listeners uh, regarding the, the overall topic, it's been about a month since, uh, has it been about a month since the... Uh, has it been, I, uh, I want
0: to say like three weeks that? or something, it yeah. sounds about right, but yeah. Gentle listener, you can look it up for yourself what day the link right. happened. But yeah.
1: And that gave us a peek at what appears to be the uh, pending Supreme Court decision that would overturn or overrule or create a whole new era replacing the Roe v. Wade decision. And uh, that's why I'm especially happy to uh, have my longtime friend, uh, Chris Bell, as our guest today. Uh, uh, he's had a profound role in the pro-life movement and he's been an inspiration to me and I'd say countless others and his decades of service uh, through his founding and directing a wonderful organization called Good Counsel has changed a lot of lives for the better. Also has left him very well-informed about the nitty-gritty of the of the pro-life mission, the mission of helping mothers and their babies uh, in the choice to opt away from abortion.
2: Well, th- thank you, Bill. I, that, that I think you, you say more than than I am. And thank you, Paul, for, for having me with you both uh, at this time. Modestly, we've got four homes for homeless, pregnant moms and their babies before and after birth. And Mm-hmm. Uh, to go back to when Bill and I met, which makes this moment in history a little bit, uh, I think, inter- interesting and inter- intersecting uh, our lives and, and and what we've been doing. Uh, we we met at a journalism. We were both students of journalism in college.
1: That's right. Uh,
2: Bill at Fordham, and I was at the University of Bridgeport, and we met at a. Uh, it was a journalism convention uh, mm-hmm. held in, in Detroit, and. Uh, knowing that we both came from Long Island, that, that also cemented our friendship a little bit more. Uh, yeah. Long Islanders being somewhat tribalistic. you know, <laughs> Yes. <up. laughs> people make, the fun of our langu- they make fun of our language and our culture. Uh, well, yeah. well, well, many of
0: us can say the same thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. yeah. East of New York. Uh, and uh, Bill went on uh, for a really illustrious uh, uh, educational and journalistic career, uh, um, in Princeton, you were in Princeton for a while there, Bill, right? That's right. That was for a master's. Yes. Master's. And I I went off, uh, the track and, and, uh, wound up helping homeless runaway kids in Times Square. And it was there that I found a lot of homeless and pregnant and parenting young women and children. And God, Mm -hmm. I have to say, guided me to uh, a friendship with father Benedict Rochelle, uh, at the time, uh, he was the spiritual director for the Archdiocese of New York, which is a humongous title to what? Uh, you know uh, really help not only lay people, but also religious men and women uh, on their spiritual journey. Uh, he, and he went on to write 40 books and uh, uh, was on EWTN from the early 80s on became a national figure uh, as a psychologist and spiritual director. Uh, became a, a good friend. And, and together we started Good Counsel, Homeless for Homeless Mothers and Babies in 1985. Uh, and the mothers really taught me even more that I needed to know and uh, introduced me to the pro-life movement because uh, from the very first mom who came into our home, uh, a home that we wanted to help women go back to school and find jobs, And I knew it would be a pro-life mission, but I didn't start it to be a pro-life mission. I started it to help women and children. And I knew we would help women who might have otherwise sought an abortion. But I didn't realize that half the women coming to us would have had at least one abortion and sometimes more. And they led me to find out more about the pro-life movement and how to help uh, women avoid that fate. It, it's traumatic, and and I should say up front, any man or woman who's participated in an abortion, uh, you know, God forgives, and if you're Catholic, you can go to confession and be forgiven, and God loves everyone, and your child who is not here is certainly in the hands of God, and every one of us who's listening, every adult in the United States knows someone who has had at least one abortion. Uh, if you really can't name that person, then it's someone who hasn't told you because there's Christ. been more than 63 million surgical abortions. So statistically, if you know more than five people, you, you know someone who's directly involved in an abortion. And, and you should say, I hope after this podcast, you go out and say, gee, you know, God forgives even those who've had an abortion. That healing is so necessary for our nation, uh, for those, whether they call themselves pro-choice, pro-abortion, liberal, whatever. They, we all need to know we can be healed. I mean, that's the greatest gift of the Catholic Church, is that we can be healed. And Jesus says, you know, forgive. And uh, forgive one another, and we can be forgiven. I think the hardest thing is probably forgiving ourselves, and, and that's part of our national angst, as well as our, our um, own personal weight uh, of sin. Knowing God's mercy, uh, which the great John Paul expounded on, uh, not least in sharing with us and canonizing Sister uh, uh, Faustina Kowalski, Um Knowing God's mercy is is truly the greatest gift for all mankind, because so many people walk around under a cloud of their own sins. Uh, uh, I, I do it, and I, I know God's mercy. Uh, and I think those who aren't as involved sacramentally or you know, with religion, uh, it's probably a darkness that they carry that they don't have to. You know, that's the other uh, freedom of, of Christianity is we're free. Mm-hmm of our sins. So, so good counsel homes, uh, is, uh, there today we have four homes in New York and New Jersey. We have a national helpline and you could go to good counsel, C O U N S E L homes with an S at the end of it .org to find out a lot more to help any woman in a crisis pregnancy in the United States today. Um, and, uh, I can go on and on and on, but I'll let you ask the next question. Bill. Well, uh, we'll come back
0: to that for sure. Yeah. Um, we, we, we definitely want to reiterate that, um, for the benefit of the listeners. So that you've been, um, Bill, I mean, I, I don't want to, Oh, please. If, you had, if you had something to start with, I, I did want to ask thinking about, um, that you've been doing this since 1985. So that is now, well, I know 37, more than 30. Yeah. Almost 40 years. Um, what uh, you know society has changed during that time I mean the population of people coming through your doors has probably changed significantly um, what has what what's what's the common what are, what common denominators are there like say things like mental health problems or spiritual problems what has changed over time
2: excellent first question there Paul uh, in the beginning women who came to us were often, Raised by their grandmothers, so they were coming out of single-parent families for the most part. Uh, They all weren't poor. They all were not of single-parent families. Uh, We did have some, what you would call, intact two-parent family homes where a girl got pregnant. Uh, And then and now, one of the common denominators that uh, has only been exacerbated is the so-called sex education in the schools. So, in all of our government-run schools and many, too many parochial schools, they have a level of education to our children that is amoral. Right? They they can't teach morality in in, in government-run schools. So they tell them the mechanics of sex. They talk about so-called contraceptives. They talk about doing what feels right. And so, it's like dangling any candy in front of a, a, an adolescent you know, the, and saying, you know, be responsible. Um, that's why we don't let kids drive (laughs) until a certain age or drink until a certain age or, uh, even do marijuana until a certain age because at least, yeah. Uh, minimum. And and yet we know, isn't this crazy? We absolutely know now scientifically that the human brain doesn't fully develop the, the frontal cortex until you're about 26, 27. You know yes. when, when those modes are are mature enough to make real important decisions. So we're we're um, we're tempting our children and encouraging them certainly through popular media and unfortunately through our just common culture of not saying wait to have sex. The most powerful motivating uh, tempting. Oh, yeah. uh, in between a man and a woman, uh, until you're, you know, we're not saying don't wait till marriage. We're just saying do it however you want, and and so kids do that, right? And, and even those that are waiting until their early twenties, they're still not mature enough to make a lifelong commitment. You know, the beauty that God gives us in sexuality, and the reason that even the most primitive of societies had restrictions between a man and a woman was to protect both. Some people say, oh, it's always to insulate the woman. No, it's really to protect the man from going off the rails and the woman from being alone, single, uh, mm-hmm. and pregnant, because she will be pregnant if, if she has sex at an early age. And uh, and those protections are now in this very sophisticated, technologically advanced society uh, not only in America, but Western Europe. And uh, now we don't have any guardrails. So we now have, so what, what in the early years, when we had grandmothers raising their granddaughters who were now pregnant and alone, now we have girls who had no family very often who have been abused at an early age by all sorts of people. Uh, and, and now they have even less, of a foundation the grandmothers of old had a semblance of religion uh, of fear of God were able to talk about the Bible now we're meeting women who have no clue Uh, Mm -hmm. they they have a semblance and understanding of of a higher power but it's really with no depth at all so that's one thing so more women are uh, mentally ill uh, who are coming to us have abused drugs uh, and alcohol, and are in need of support. Uh, and it's not to say they all are. It's just to say they have less uh, uh, roots, uh, n- less connection to any kind of family structure. Uh, it doesn't make them bad, and it doesn't make them uh, uh, horrible people at all. They just need a lot of support. So what does good counsel do? So we try to form a family in our homes. Um, Some of the homes have six, eight, up to 12 moms in them. And we try to help form what we consider good family habits. Uh, Dinner. Everybody eats dinner together. One or two of the moms will cook dinner for everybody. We have life skill programs after that about child growth and development. Um, So let me give you an example of, of a mom who came to us Uh, really down. uh, uh, uh. Let me start off by saying I was showing uh, a priest friend around our house in the South Bronx, the poorest congressional district in the nation. And Mm -hmm. Father George was dressed as a collar on and we walk into our daycare. It's in the evening, but there are some kids there. You say, why are there kids there? Because their moms were working late and at good counsel, we watch the kids uh, whenever mom is out at school or work, and this was pre pandemic. So, uh, it was a pretty Mm -hmm. common scene, uh, and little destiny who I I didn't see often, but she came running up to me. So I grabbed her and I held her in the air and she was laughing and giggling. She was uh, just about four years old. Just very happy to see, uh, a, Mm -hmm. a somewhat familiar face again. When I put her down, she ran into father George's arms. Somebody she had never met before, and we have priests come and go into the house to celebrate mass. Uh, we occasionally uh, we try to have mass once a month in each of our homes. We have a chapel again to introduce, invite, encourage uh, a connection with the Lord. And and when she jumped into his arms with total abandon, at that moment I realized what Jesus said when he told us, "You have to have faith like a little child." Like a little enter child. The kingdom of God, because yeah. she had no concern, no question, you know, obviously all the innocence of a four year old jumping into his arms that he would grab her and hold her and not harm her and protect her. And that's the faith that our father God wants us to have to totally yeah. jump into his arms and not question that he would take care of us. Yeah. So. After that, we went upstairs into the dining room, and now it's about 8 o'clock, and uh, another mom, uh, uh, um, uh, her name was Leslie, said uh, she was just coming off of work and was getting a late dinner. She couldn't eat with everybody else. I said, well, the next day was Saturday. I said, well, at least you could take tomorrow off. And she said, oh, no, I have to work tomorrow, too. She is a home health aide. Like a lot of our moms who come in, they take a certificate training program and they get a job right away. Uh, And she said it with a smile, though. So she was happy to work. She was happy where she was going. Uh, And I remembered she wasn't so happy the year before when she came to our house because then she had her own little daughter with her and she was pregnant a second time with the same father of the child. The reason she wasn't so happy is when she announced that second pregnancy, the same father of both children Mm -hmm. kicked her in the stomach and told her he didn't want this child and to either get rid of the baby or get out. Uh, And she was very conflicted, but she Mm -hmm. did not want to have that abortion then. When she came to us, she was still conflicted. Now, a lot of the women coming to us aren't on the fence about that second or first birth, but she was confused, she was angry, she had been with him uh, you know all these years. Uh, the other daughter was already three and three years old, and she just didn't know um, what to do, of course. We told her we would be there for her. We helped her. That's why Good Counsel is there to help any pregnant mom in need. Literally any pregnant mom could go to goodcounselhomes.org or call our national helpline, one eight hundred seven two three eight three three one and and get help. Wherever she is, we'll find a place for her, we'll take her in. And we got her to take a home health aid certificate program. She finished it before she gave birth. She gave birth to a a very healthy little boy. She was really thrilled. Now she has a boy and a girl. And now at this point in her life, she was thinking that she would go on when she left us. Moms can stay with us for a year, 18 months to get on their feet. Uh, she'd go on in her education in healthcare because she found she had a facility to work with the elderly or the sick, and she liked doing it. And she, like many of us who say we want to help others, you get so much more back when you try to give what God has, has given you. Um, so uh, there are women who find a really a new life Um In in a way, if you will, in giving up their life for their child, they find a new life for themselves. And we hope truly they find a life in Christ, you know, that the Lord is leading them to try to connect them with the Lord. But it's a bigger leap now to share that love that Jesus has for us, that forgiveness that's so hard for even us who know that God died for our sins um, to fully believe and embrace uh, and then to share that with people who never even knew their own mother or father or had a, a human connection, a, 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 an emotional, a vibrant connection with their own parents.
1: And it's more difficult for everybody in the equation now, right? Uh, not only are the uh, moms facing graver problems, but that means that um, good counsel and, and uh, the multitude of other homes around the, the country like that um, with a very limited budget, you folks are wanting to provide services that address even more challenges in a, in a tough economy and uh, dealing with everything from mental uh, stress to um, uh, raising a, raising a child. Uh, it's this is the framework in in which we're now seeing um, a big. Transformation, perhaps, in our legal system, or at least in uh, how our society is addressing it uh, formally, it's out, it, it just seems like a very difficult, turbulent time built into the cake, baked into the cake.
2: Well, we're certainly uh, we've always survived on private donations. So anybody who wants to go to Goodcounselhomes.org and make a donation today. That would be great. Uh, you can look us up. Our, our main office is in Caucus, New Jersey. Just put in Good Counsel C O U and S E L Homes. Uh, you'll find us in New Jersey, and we have homes in New York. Um, yeah, inflation obviously is, is hurting us. Uh, I, I'm happy to say the baby food formula shortage. Uh, we've been blessed with donations before and now to uh, not have been hurt seriously by that. We, we've had to put out a call. So if people still want to donate baby formula, that would be great. If you want to donate dollars, we can find the formula. So uh, we, we're, we're not hurt by that. And, uh, and it's really a great uh, gift to also have to share our needs with God's people to help us out and to continue this mission so i hope people can spread the 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 word the good news um and like i said if you go to our website we have maternity homes listed throughout the nation so Mm -hmm. a woman in crisis pregnancy can go to her state she goes to goodcounselhomes.org. she can look for pregnancy help and find in her state where there are maternity homes or she can call our our national helpline Uh, And and God's people want to keep our mission going and these other maternity homes. And I'll tell you, because we help other women, uh, uh, other people who want to start a home. uh, We we have helped uh, homes open in uh, uh, nine other states. And uh, we're, you know, there are really hundreds of homes uh, in the nation. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So what have you seen,
1: Chris, in terms of... um Uh, the reaction in the past few weeks to the leaked document and the pending decision Um, from your nitty gritty hands-on perspective. What, how are you, uh, what what is your perspective on uh, what's going on in the discussion and in the uh, search for understanding on this issue?
2: Since the uh, Supreme court decision leak, Uh, I can't say that our moms have been directly affected by it one way or the other, nor has that news concerned them. Uh, But uh, here in New York, uh, people have been out on the street more, meaning the the people who want abortion. And what's amazing is New York, New Jersey, Vermont, they're probably, uh, uh, it's more than half the states have ensured that abortion will continue and in New York, New Jersey, Vermont, uh, particularly they have passed laws to ensure that even if a baby is born alive, when an abortion is attempted, the doctor, the mother, nobody will be charged with infanticide Mm -hmm. should that living baby be left to die. Yeah. And as barbaric as that sounds, people are – some people deny that's the truth and other people say, uh, well, they wanted a dead baby anyway. I mean it's horrible what people mm, are saying yeah. out loud, which no one yeah. in their right mind would have even thought just a few years ago. But those laws are – they've been passed. They're enshrined yeah. and it won't change a thing. Yeah. So that, that's Not where we've seen a difference is, is, is more people being vocal – about ensuring abortion maintains itself. Uh, And and what that really does, what does that do? So I've I've known this from 1985, where abortion is permitted, where it's paid for, again, as it is in New York and New Jersey and and Massachusetts and Connecticut, where they pay Medicaid dollars. Women are not only told you have a choice, but they are encouraged, and in some cases demanded. So Carmela called us at Good Counsel because the doctor told her the baby she was carrying had a defect in every single cell in its body. Mm. And Carmela, who had a high school education, mm. felt that was wrong for her to take the life of her baby. And even the, the doctor didn't just tell her that he said, you have to get rid of this. You have to get rid of this bit. And then the nurse who was in this cl- uh, clinic and then her social worker, everybody was insisting. So she called us simply to say, I, I know my baby won't live long, but I, I, I don't want to hurt my baby. So of course we took her in and, and we prayed with her cause she wanted to pray. We don't force women to pray. And, you know, we took her to all her appointments and we held her hand and for six agonizing months, Mm -hmm. we didn't know what was going to happen, but we prayed and, and she got to the point where she said, whatever God's will is, I will accept it. And her little boy was born almost as healthy and strong as any baby you've ever seen, except he did have a little hole in his heart and it required two operations, the first two months of his life to sew that little hole up. And this is not, these weren't uncommon operations. In the United States today, we can operate on on newborns. We can operate before they're born and keep these little kids. And when he was one year old in our daycare, he looked as healthy and happy and strong as any other one-year-old there. And his yeah. mother was going out to work. And now I won't proclaim it was a miracle. I can't proclaim a miracle. <laughs> but I can tell you that this little, little, this young mother was faithful. I do say God blessed her and God blessed yeah. us to see this. And I can tell you that this little boy was saved because she had the courage to go against a man with a medical degree and all his experience and why in this nation where we have so much, you know, advancement in medical technology, the most advanced medical technology in human history, why would we ever say, don't have the baby? Why wouldn't we say, let's see what happens?
0: Yeah. yeah. Give them a chance. Yeah. 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 And of course, I can't help but wonder what, you know, with that initial diagnostic appointment, what what the doctor actually meant, what evidence he actually had to go on or whether he was just being swept away by the general bias in favor of.
2: And, Paul, abortion. that's that's it. It's a bias. And the New York Times, no less, uh, yeah. several months ago, not too long ago, it's less than a year ago, did their mm. own investigation. It was probably one of the best investigative stories they've ever done. And they looked into the rates of inaccuracy in prenatal diagnosis. And they went down about half a dozen or more different tests. And they said, they concluded that in 80 to 90% of the prenatal diagnoses that were given to women over the last decade, the doctors were wrong. And they concluded they were wrong because they really, even now don't know fully the data that they're looking at. They're inaccurate. And that's why I know from my own experience, 37 years at Good Counsel and decades of experience with my own family and friends, which isn't a scientific survey, but anecdotally, I will tell you they were wrong more than they were right. And at Good Counsel, in 37 years, we've only had one baby, Out of more than a thousand two hundred and sixty five that have been born to us, one baby who actually had the defects that the doctor proclaimed the child would. have, And I'm talking about across the board. So I always have said, always said to anybody who said the doctor said there's a problem. My first reaction is get a second opinion and no doctor is God. And in most cases, they're going to be wrong. Now, that's not to say they're always wrong, but in most cases, 80 to 90% of the time, they're going to be wrong. So where do you want to put your money? And the other reality is, even if the baby is born with a defect or dies shortly after birth, number one, the mother and father can say they did not have the hand their hand in taking the life of that child. And number two, uh, I know a doctor now, her name is Elvira Paravicini and she's at Columbia Presbyterian in Manhattan. Well, she came up with the same conclusion that we did, but she does deal with those who have poor prenatal diagnoses. And yes, in many cases, the child will in fact die or be born with serious defects. And she prepares not only the mother, but the family, Not only the mother and father, but the children. And in her now more than 10 years of doing this, she has siblings. So the siblings who are maybe eight, nine, 10 years old at the time their brother or sister was born and died shortly after that. She now has siblings coming back to tell her the short life of their brother or sister was actually a beautiful moment in their family's life because they celebrate that short life and you know if they're catholic they they have a baptism if they're buddhist they may have another type of celebration if they're atheist they don't believe in anything they prepare to celebrate that little life for as long as Mm. that child lives and then they can name the baby they can have a burial they can mourn the loss as we do with loved ones And again, no matter how short or long that life is, whether it's hours or days or months, they know that they did the best they could. And isn't that what we are always called to do? Isn't that what love is? You do what you can. I mean, some things are certainly out of our, everything's out of our control. We pretend to think we actually can control life and things. But, you know, love means to offer help, to have hope. Uh, to give as much life or support that life as long as possible, and love is creative. Love is creative, and so you do what you can with what you have. And and don't we learn a lot through pain and suffering as well as through health and and good things? So. Um, that's what Dr. Elvira Peravicini is is teaching us in the medical community, and that's what we should be as a society, as a community, as people who should love. Uh, isn't that why we're we're in this world to love one another, uh, to to encourage life?
0: Yeah, and and to do our best, like you also said.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. and sometimes mm-hmm. doing our best doesn't end like the storybooks happily ever after, no. but. But it's better than than doing something that directly is killing. That that's always wrong, especially killing an innocent person. It's always wrong. It's wrong. Yeah.
1: Uh, Yeah. When when, uh, so much of the discussion, uh, especially on the pro-abortion side, is about um, uh, follow the science, uh, follow the scientists, uh, you're pointing out that a lot of that scientific thinking that's being referred to is is not out of the box, imaginative, creative thinking, but very much, uh, you know, stuck inside old boxes of understanding and thought. And we need to, we need to expand beyond that.
2: Yes. And, and, and at this point, I want to reiterate if people just joined in and or if they heard at the very beginning, for those who have had an abortion, for those who didn't choose to give life. And I'm talking to men as well as women, because men have a a responsibility here too. If they're the fathers or they were friends, or maybe I, I know people who assisted their friend thinking they were doing the right thing by driving them to the abortion mill or by paying for it. And now later regret it. God forgives. God forgives. And if you're Catholic Confession is available to you at any moment by any priest or bishop anywhere in the world. God forgives. And if you're not Catholic or you're not religious, hear this for the first time. The God of all the universe is merciful and he loves you and he loved you to be in this life and maybe to hear this podcast and maybe to hear this message for the first time ever. God is a loving and forgiving God. And if you cannot forgive yourself, I would say no in your mind first that yes, God does forgive you. And I'll tell you quickly, when I first heard about Project Rachel, which again is a Catholic post-abortion healing program, which really was to teach priests about how to be compassionate, That Mm -hmm. just saying it wasn't your fault is wrong, whether the woman is culpable or not, or the man is culpable Mm -hmm. or not. That's not what somebody needs to hear. Mm -hmm. What someone needs to hear, though, is that God forgives whatever you did do, knowingly or unknowingly, whether you were coerced or not. God can forgive. And so I learned about Project Rachel, and I went Mm -hmm. back to our home on Staten Island. At the time, and I was talking at dinner to the moms who were assembled there uh, and found out that every one of them was told not to have their baby. And, and that's been a consistent theme among good counsel mothers from the beginning till now is that they're yeah. told by someone, family, friend, doctor, social worker, teacher, don't have the baby because you're single or because you're in a bad relationship or because you don't have a job or because you will lose your job. But one of the moms, uh, Carolyn, later said to me privately, this wasn't her first baby. And the first time she got pregnant, the father of her child was doing drugs and she was afraid. And she talked to her girlfriends and they said, oh, your baby is going to be born deformed. and, And wouldn't it be a sin to bring a deformed baby into the world? But she felt very conflicted. She went to the father of the child. She said, what do you want me to do? And he said, oh, it's your body. You do with it what you want. So what kind of message is that, right? It's not, I love you. I love your baby. I love our baby. It's like, you do with it what you want. So she got the message. As you do in, in an abortion culture. Yeah, You really shouldn't have this baby. So she said to me, Chris, I went to that place. I had that operation and I never thought about it again until my second baby was born. Now, she said second baby, so she knew she had a first baby. And she said, when my second baby was born and the nurses put Noel on my chest, my first thought was, oh, my God, what did I do to my first baby? Because I'll never hear him cry. I'll never see him walk. I'll never be able to be with him. And I. She said she asked me the question, do you think God can forgive me? She just heard me talking about it. And I looked at her straight in the eye and I said, of course, I know God can forgive you. And as I was looking at her, I realized I had to ask her another question. I said, do you think you can forgive yourself? And she looked down and she shook her head and she said, I don't know. I don't know. What will my first baby think about it? So I did know a good psychologist at the time, and as I do now, and I centered for post-abortion healing. And that counselor said to her, why don't you first write a letter to your baby? And that letter said what I've read many, many times since then. And she named her baby, I think it was John, dear John, please forgive me. Almost always starts off with, I'm sorry, forgive me. I didn't really know what I was doing. I was afraid. I felt alone. But now I know what I did was wrong. And I hope someday I and Noel and your father will be together with you forever. And that I do love you now. And through that letter and through counseling, little at a time, she learned to mourn the loss of that child as we mourn the loss of anyone whom we love. And it's amazing to me and beautiful to know that even a mom who's had a miscarriage like my own mother, they mourn that loss. They need to mourn the loss as we do because it's a unique human being. Every conceived child is a unique person, never before seen in the world and never again to come back into the world and many women after they've had an abortion or even a miscarriage will seek to have another child some people will say that's a replacement baby or an atonement baby but well, you can't really replace a u- unique person but it's a way to bring a life into the world where it didn't happen before and and we live with loss right we live with the loss of those whom we love whether it's our parents or a spouse or a friend or people we know. And and living with that loss is part of life, because life has a lot of losses. But better to live with a loss with love in our heart than with fear or anger or resentment, because God can forgive. And God wants us to know that we're forgiven and that we can continue. And because we do, we who are Christians believe in life everlasting, we know that there is another time to see that person, that child, that loved one. Mm.
1: Well, that's great. You know, uh, uh, you're you're pointing out how we need this much broader understanding and much broader hopefulness. And I think that that might come uh, now that we're likely to move more of the discussions into the local arena and the state arena rather than in the national arena of uh, talking points and political gamesmanship and, and all of that. Uh, uh, one step that you're helping to take with this next step, whatever it becomes, is you're going to host a, an event at Catholic University of America. And I thought you could just mention that for a minute, Chris.
2: Oh, thank you. Yes, uh, it's called Beyond Dobbs. Uh, which whatever that decision will be, finally, uh, will be beyond it. And on June 29th at Catholic University of America in Washington, D.C., uh, right next to the uh, Basilica of the Immaculate Conception, uh, we're having a free dinner. It's free, but we do have limited seating. Uh, so if you go to goodcouncilhomes.org um, or better yet, just type in goodcounsel. Uh, Beyond Dobbs. And, and I hope that link will come up and you could sign up for your free seat at this dinner. And we have a stellar group of people who will share some reflections on Beyond Dobbs. And we will ask you for a free will offering um, for good counsels, moms and babies. And that stellar group begins with Sister Dede Meyer, uh, Dede Byrne, Sister Dede Byrne, who uh, is now on the Good Council Board of Directors. Uh, she's a nun. She's a Army surgeon, retired Army surgeon. She's Ooh. still doctoring in Washington, D.C., helping the poor, certainly helping women and children. And Sister Didi, uh, who was noted for also speaking at the Republican National Convention a, a couple of years ago, uh, is really a wonderful person. Uh, and she'll share some of her reflections. Uh, Dr. Andrew Abella who is the Dean of the Business School at Catholic University, a, a tremendous person, great insights economically, socially, culturally. will also be on hand to share some uh, thoughts and, and encouragement. And another dear long-term friend, uh, Professor Helen Alvarez, uh, who's a uh, law school professor and has spoken out on behalf of life for three decades plus uh, uh, most notably for uh, the bishops uh, in the United States Catholic Conference, uh, sometimes representing the Vatican uh, around the world on women's issues. Uh, a great intellect, a great woman, and uh, just uh, tremendous. So they will share Beyond Dobbs because that last week in November, most certainly the decision will be released. Uh, I, I hope before that last monday but maybe uh on that last monday which is a few days before so go uh to uh, or look up uh good counsel beyond Dobbs. uh get your name in there quickly because seats are going fast in our limited seating and you get a free dinner um and you get an opportunity to help good counsel moms and babies with a free will offering uh so, so that's um, the last sunday in june uh, it's not a Sunday. It's, uh, I think oh. it's Wednesday, June 29th,
0: June 29th, okay. June 29th Wednesday, Feast yeah. of Saints Peter and Paul. Yeah, oh. Not go. that I keep track of that.
2: I mean, <laughs> well, very much, <laughs> <laughs> Great thing.
0: Part of the business I have to keep track of that.
2: <laughs> so, uh, right. Any well, other thoughts
1: about all this?
2: Yeah. yeah well, I think, uh, uh, Bill, you were uh, saying so much that, uh, Hoping Roe v. Wade is overturned and allowing the states to decide what their abortion laws restrictions will be, knowing most states will still allow abortion and some of them uh, will allow abortion really – past birth. Will allow some the of, the, some even of them will allow all out on fanicide, going beyond Roe v. Wave, yeah, yeah, but as horrible as that is, what you, I think, were referencing is that now we can have a freer discussion, a more open discussion, because it won't be verboten to say, yeah, we can restrict abortion. Yes, this infant life in the womb is valuable. Yes, this conceived child should have legal, certainly as well as moral rights. And with that discussion beginning to be open and, and not totally shut down, uh, then I, I think uh, we, we have a, a better opportunity to educate, motivate, and to support women in the most healthy way, and men uh, who have conceived ch- children, uh, and the baby, and the baby now we can have a yeah. real discussion of well what does the science say well the science says at the moment of conception you have 46 unique chromosomes coming together with a unique person which will determine uh, hair color eye color uh you know intellectual ability all sorts of wonderful unique things and uh maybe we need to preserve that life and not experiment on these babies even yeah, as they uh, grow yeah. bigger. How, why would we take the body parts of a baby? Why would we take mm-hmm. the body parts yeah, that's of the baby? That's cannibalistic. I mean, maybe we should shut yeah. down. The, maybe some scientific experiments are really wrong, uh, aren't they? Isn't there yeah. a moral line somewhere? Let's have this debate since uh, before no one would even discuss it openly or, or rationally. You know, what yeah. does the science yeah. really know? Yeah. yeah.
0: It is really easy as a scientist to get fixated on, I want to do this experiment, I want to have this data, I want this situation, I want to be able to to put this into practice, and that's just, science doesn't work that way. There is always more than one way to find something out, and sometimes we just have to have that restraint. Yeah. Easy I, for me to say I'm a geologist. I, I wish I could go to the Earth's core, but I can't. <laughs> I literally can't. So I can't do that experiment. There's some things that morally we, yeah we can't do. I mean and then likewise the whole vac- the whole debate about vaccines about you know, needing, needing to use you know, aborted uh, fetal tissue lines in order to test vaccines. no, there's another way around that.
2: Thank there you, Paul. I, thank you, Paul, for saying that. Uh, I, I think we have a, a tremendous amount of amnesia because I learned, I think it was even in high school, that the physicians in the generation after the Nazi doctors experimented mostly on Jewish innocent civilians and wrote tremendous papers, as as those Nazi doctors did, papers, insights into how long it took to freeze a human being uh, or whatever they horrible experiments they did. I thought yeah. the medical community said, we're going to burn or ban any of that research. We're not even going to refer to it because mm-hmm. it, was, yeah. it was so inhuman. And yeah. now, uh, what, six, you know, even six, 70, 80 years later, we're absolutely doing worse experiments on little babies before and after birth with their body parts. I mean, yeah. as you yeah. said, where's the moral? line? We need to draw moral lines. So I think we say today that a country like China, where it's known they take prisoners And they use their organs to transplant. And there's some kind of international trade where if you have enough money, you fly to China. If you need a kidney or a heart or a lung, you you go there and they will, for a certain amount of money, find the prisoner and type it out and take that prisoner's body part and transplant it. Obviously, the prisoner... I, I. does if they live they're now living without that organ i mean i I, i've donated a kidney i know you can donate a kidney uh live and you're probably going to donate part of a lung but i don't know if they're treating their their prisoners with that kind of care right Um, and and so i think we say that's wrong shouldn't there be probably total outrage i hope people are saying it's wrong um But uh, why would we do that with a, a baby, an innocent child, even yeah. pre-birth? It doesn't seem yeah. like we should allow that kind of experimentation. And you say old fetal lines? Yeah, we should condemn that because if we got to we got to draw a line somewhere. So whether that that fetal line is decades old or not, I think we should say no. We don't. We don't. We don't do that. We're not cannibals, and, and it's immoral. Some things are just immoral. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, and really yeah. we have to recognize what what the reality of it is that we are human beings and we're all in this together
1: yeah well yeah. may that discovery of uh, uh, reality as better understood today may that become part of the uh, outcomes of, of uh, the uh, judicial debate that's now going to be riling around the country <sighs>
0: Yeah, and those of us in states like you know Wyoming, where you know, in fact, probably uh, it will take advantage of the ability to um, you know to forbid abortion um, in most cases, at least. Um, you know, it's then up to us to you know, in a certain sense, in our federal system, serve as an example. What are we going to do? You know, in the situation to to be a more welcoming place you know, and that's not something that laws are going to do. It's going to be what we individually do to welcome human life into our, into our community for, for women who did what gets you pregnant in a situation where they didn't want to get pregnant. Um, Yeah. So that's, that's, that's the next step, I guess, for us.
2: Yes. And the, the other wonderful, I think, amazing And beauty that comes out of even someone who is pregnant when they didn't want to be or didn't expect or didn't plan, however you want to describe it, is another human being and no one can determine which of us, who of us, among us is you don't have to do fantastic things. You can just continue the human race in some nice and beautiful way. And I've met, uh, I'm sure you guys have uh, many adopted children. Uh, Some were adopted domestically. I've, I've got adopted children, both domestic and foreign, but I've met others who are adults who they were adopted, or they were uh, older people who were in orphanages, real orphanages in the United States who, you know, they've had children and grandchildren. And it's, you know, uh, life is, is beautiful to, to populate. And, and why should any of us say this child or this mother or this father, you know, shouldn't have this baby? Or, or they're not good enough. I mean, talk about hubris in terms right. of, uh, of judging right. people. Uh, you never know. I, I mean, there are many famous people, uh, you know, who were born of single mothers who were adopted, who were um, in difficult situations when they were younger and, you know, wh- whether they're known or unknown, this is part of our life. This is part of the human, na- uh, human, human existence, <laughs> and uh and we should embrace and cherish everyone uh and and the less we do that uh almost the more criminal we become as a yeah. society you know?
0: yeah 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 we can't we can't continue doing this we haven't we haven't done this and gotten away with it we've already suffered you know in in terms of our gosh, the term moral fiber sounds a little um, antiquated at this point, but, you know, obviously things have shifted and there are ways that they have definitely not shifted for the
2: better. Mm. So one uh, college student came to volunteer in one of our homes one summer. And when she called her mom, uh, who lived several hundred miles away, uh, she said, you won't believe what great place I found where single moms come and they have babies and they go back to school and they find jobs and her mother said that's where you were born wow and and that that college student came back the next summer just as excited and happy and joyful Um, having had a few
0: conversations with mom probably over the course of that year
2: Now, here's a, I mean, unusual. So at Good Counsel, we take in any pregnant mom in need. And again, you can go to Good Counsel, C-O-U-N-S-E-L, homes, H-O-M-E-S dot O-R-G. And and you can find out more about us and you can find out how to get help and you can make a donation. Well, we had a a mom at a recent uh, banquet speak. uh, And she said uh, she was 40 years old. When she came into good counsel, she's not the oldest mother, by the way. And she wasn't the first older mother and she hasn't been the last. And that was 20, uh, actually 18 years ago. And she said, now I was an older woman that most of the women were in their 20s. I felt I knew more than them, but I quickly found out because this was her first time being a mother. uh, that I I needed to learn a lot. And so that was humbling. And then yeah. she said, good counsel helped me learn a lot, not only about mothering, but about life and, and about, you know, even yeah. at this stage in her life. So now uh, this is 18 years later and her daughter was standing next to her at the podium. And her, her name was Taryn and the daughter, daughter's name was Autumn. And she said, um, I'm so proud of my daughter and I know that good counsel helped me to become a good mother. And Autumn is now graduating high school and she has a scholarship to a well-known school and she's going to study chemistry. <laughs> so yeah. it was really, and, and Taryn was crying as she was saying this tears of joy. And yeah. here, you know, we're looking at mother and daughter and seeing what an amazing couple they are. And we're grateful that we were a part of their life, their journey. Uh, Another mom uh, recently uh, who did not enter our home. So this is how we sometimes help just by being there. But she called us up and this was her third pregnancy with her husband. And they were both from Egypt. And the husband had family here in the United States The mom did not. So she was here alone with her husband and her husband was very upset that she was having this third child relatively close. And he said, you can't have this baby. And it's legal in this country to have an abortion. And she said, I do not care. I want this third child. I want all my children. She's a very short woman. Yes, But very determined. And even though she's in this country only a short time, no other relatives, no other friends, she called us asking for help. And we said, of course, you can come into our home. We've had women with more than one child. And she says, no, I don't want to come into your home, but I do need your help. I need food. I need clothing. I need moral support. So she moved into her own apartment. I'm still amazed at what she did and how she did it. And for the last 15 years, she has been connected with us again, never moving into our home, but she talks about Silvana, who is my assistant and how Silvana has always been my moral support for me. And her oldest daughter, who was uh, almost four years old, when her youngest was born, five years old, um, she herself got a full scholarship to Yale University. Oh, my. <laughs> yeah. And, they don't just those out. Oh. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I certainly couldn't get into Yale. And I was no. thinking, again, how blessed we are to have had a hand in supporting this young woman and her family and, and now watching her daughter go on. And what does she want to study? She wants to study neuroscience. I couldn't even spell it in high school. <laughs> <laughs> and and why does she want to study neuroscience? You know, if all this isn't enough to make you want to cry, she wants to study neuroscience because her two younger brothers have slight neurological issues mm-hmm. and she wants yeah. to help her mom and help her brothers and help Mm. others who have similar problems. I mean, what a beautiful young girl she is. And, and this whole story is, and, and this is the beauty again out of supporting life. It's loving others to the nth degree. And so I'll put in another plug for Good Counsel Homes, whether you want to join us on June 29th for a free dinner and an opportunity uh, to to support us. You can go to Good Counsel Beyond Dobbs. Just do that search and you'll find a link there. Or you can go directly to Good Counsel, C-O-U-N-S-E-L, Homes with an S at the end of it org, where you can make a donation and certainly find out more about who we are and how to help. And you can also find out how you can find out more about healing. We have a post-abortion healing program we call Lumina, uh, and, uh, whether you're religious or not go to, you know, goodcouncilhomes.org, uh, post, and you'll, you'll find out on our page, um, Lumina, a post-abortion healing program, to get the message that you can be forgiven and you can find hope even after an abortion.
1: Hmm. Well, what can we say? Uh, Thank you so much for uh, giving us not only causes for hope and lots of information and reasons to be uh, galvanized at this particular milestone time in the whole situation, and uh, even offering us a free dinner. So you
0: got it. Thank you so much, you college students in the audience. Make sure you there listen to that. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. No, it is good. No, it's it's a wonderful thing. No, I'm no, Really no. The grateful the to have you in. on the show, Chris. And and despite the uh, technical difficulties we had to navigate to make this podcast possible, it was it was well worth it. it was, well, thank
2: you, Paul, uh, cool and thank you, Bill. It's really thank great to be with both of you. This is fantastic, and I'm very very grateful.
1: We'll be yeah. keeping in touch, no doubt about it, because it's a ongoing saga, it and is. Uh, probably the most important demoral saga that yeah. our society is uh, facing such over such a long period of time.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of That's So Second Millennium. TSSM's audio producer is Morgan Burkhart. Our theme music, Igneous Grock, was composed and performed by Vin Marcourt. For my co-host Bill Schmidt, I'm Paul Geesting. Until next time.